Hey Oasis family, this is Mikkel, and I'm really excited to share with you that from now on, you have even more reasons to hit the refresh button on your Oasis Community Church podcast feed. In addition to our usual Sunday morning sermons, we're going to be introducing a host of bonus content that's going to be released periodically in between the main weekly episodes. Now, these are going to feature some great spiritual insights, some tools like guided prayers and meditations. Uh, We're going to share some of the original art uh, and the curated art that we use in our liturgies at Oasis, and we're going to feature conversations with amazing teaching pastors and guest speakers that we have here. It's going to be really, really great, so make sure that you're subscribed. We don't want you to miss out. You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So we're continuing our series, Living Epiphany. And today we're going to be looking at a few passages. We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's an interesting story. But before we get there, I want to just say a few things about uh, a phenomenon known as Bloom's Taxonomy of Learning. In Bloom's Taxonomy of Learning, it's this idea that uh, at the kind of the foundation of our learning is knowledge or memorization. Uh, So it's kind of represented in this pyramid. And as you move up the pyramid, you kind of go through kind of higher orders of learning. So we can't can't get up to things like application or analysis or synthesis until we first kind of understand. And we can't really understand until we have received the knowledge. I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you hear it. Um, But... Unfortunately, sometimes I think in our educational systems, we hang out at the lower orders of learning. Like we think that memory and knowledge is kind of the, not just the end, but not just the beginning, excuse me, but the end. So I'm imagining uh, myself as like a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, you know, in public school, kind of getting to my desk. And at the beginning of class, you stand up and you, you take your right hand and you put it over your heart or, you know. You're still figuring out which is your right hand at that age because you're just a little, you know, a little person. And you, you recite this Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. Does anybody else have this kind of memory, this process? Yeah, so there's, there's part of that. And I, I learned it. It wasn't, wasn't too difficult. But one of it said, uh, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And the, particularly the difficult bit was that indivisible. Because I'm pretty sure there was a three or four years that I just said invisible. <laughs> because I knew what invisible meant. It sounded like that word. And if I wanted to look around at the United States, I couldn't see it, right? Always a little confused, like, am I in the United States now? I, I thought this was Marion. <laughs> and then somebody told me, no, it's Virginia. I'm like, oh, Okay. Right? I remember with our kids when we're coming to visit, when we lived up north, when we come to Florida to visit Angela's parents, they, would, uh, they kind of associated the word Florida with their grandmother and granddad's house, right? So when they were there, that was Florida. And then they found someone else. They had friends that were going to Florida. And they're like, you're going to Nana and Papa's? And they're like, no. Oh, you're going to your Florida. 
right? Not my Florida. So the challenge, of course, with this when it comes to kind of reading Scripture is that sometimes we'll read Scripture or maybe we even memorize Scripture. But if we don't have an understanding, then we can never kind of get to the point of application. And without application, we never get to the point of actually kind of synthesizing it into our lives. And so that's, that's problematic. So in this story in Nehemiah 8, it's pretty interesting. Uh, in ancient Israelite history and practice, and this is hard for us to imagine because we are so used to having the scriptures readily available to us. But in the ancient world, uh, scripture wasn't really part of religion. I mean, let's just think about it in the, in the times of Moses. Um, they, they had a text. It was written on a tablet of stone, right? And Moses had a copy of it. So kind of getting access to the text wasn't so easy, right? They kind of stored it in the ark. So years would go by before the kind of writing of Scripture and this idea that God's ideas, God's message for us could be contained in literature. I mean, this was... This, again, we kind of take it for granted, but this was kind of a new idea, and it particularly became popular after the exile. So the, the, the country had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, they had been held captive in a foreign country, and then while they're there, they're starting to remember, and they're starting to tell their stories, and they're saying, hey, there was that book of the law, what was that about? And as they get back from the exile, they've been released by the Babylonians, or technically they've been um, delivered by the Persians who overthrew Babylon. And now they've come back, and it's, it's especially difficult. It's kind of doubly difficult, because on the one hand, they have these texts that have been written down, but the texts are in Hebrew, and people aren't speaking Hebrew anymore. They're speaking Aramaic. So imagine if your only copies to Scripture was in a different language. And so uh, Ezra stands up in this story in Nehemiah, and he reads the Torah. He reads the Scriptures for the people. But then he also has to kind of interpret it for them. I mean, part of that interpretation was probably literally a translation. Like when it says this, it means that. But it's more, I think, than just a translation. It's this idea of kind of explaining what it meant. So I want you to think in your own life, who has had kind of that influence on you who's kind of helped you understand Scripture? Uh, perhaps it was a mom or dad or a grandmom or granddad. Perhaps it was a pastor or a youth pastor. Um, it is what I kind of do professionally, right? I'm a biblical scholar. I teach at the university. And my job is to read Scripture and then explain Scripture to other people. And so I, I like to come here and do that on Sunday mornings as well. So it says this in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. You see, Scripture is not magic. It's not some words that if you repeat it, and, and if you say it just right, something's going to happen. Like you tried to repeat a passage of Scripture, and nothing happens, so what are you going to do? Try to repeat it in a different accent? Or put an emphasis on a different syllable? Oh, no, don't say it like that. Say it like this? No. 
We're not part of some kind of magical group. It's meant to be understood. And having been understood, it's meant to be applied. Now, in this story in Nehemiah, when they first read this, it says he read for half the day. I mean, imagine that. Imagine showing up in the city square and, and the priest reading from the text for half a day. We barely have enough time to listen to two or three passages of Scripture. They read for half a day, and it said that the people mourned and wept. Now, we don't know what they were mourning and weeping about. People have speculated. Some have thought it was the distance between the life that God described and the life that they were actually living. Uh, some imagined that it was uh, the kind of list of do's and don'ts, and now that they kind of learned, you're not supposed to do this, you are supposed to do that, and they hear, again, the difference between how they should be living and how they, they see how they actually live, that that kind of grieves them. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, if, if ancient uh, or Second Temple Jews were evangelicals, then I would say, yes, that's the case, because I think that, you know, we're often those that kind of treat guilt as a spiritual gift. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, Lord, that feels good. I feel bad. Um, I'm not exactly sure what they were mourning and weeping about, but I do know this. The priest said, don't mourn. Eat. Feed those who don't have something, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about that. How many of you sometimes uh, read a passage of scripture and you think, hmm, I wonder what that's about? Like, if you can't say yes to that, you're not reading enough. <laughs> right? But it says this. This is the conclusion, not the very end, we'll call it the penultimate end. This is next to the conclusion as, as to what the priest said when they mourned and wept at the hearing of the law. It says this, it says, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now you've heard that before, right? The joy of the Lord is your strength? But did you know that the joy of the Lord has to do with you hearing the word of the Lord, having the word of the Lord kind of interpreted for you? And this is one of the things that I really love about this. At the end of the passage, it doesn't say, if you understand it just right, then all will be well. Or if you're the smartest and you, you get it all together, you'll be fine. It says, eat and drink and share your food with those who have it, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The actual very end, this wasn't actually included uh, in the selection for today, but it, it is how this passage ends in Nehemiah 8. It says this, the Levites calmed all the people. Good for them. Good for them to calm the people. Because the people sometimes are anxious. The people are worried. The people are stressed. The people are tired. The people are mourning. The people are weeping. The Levites calmed the people, and they said this, Be still, 
for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because now, because they now understood the words that had been spoken to them. That's beautiful. We sang about it in the songs we sang this morning. We, we sang about the word that is a, a light unto my uh, feet and a lamp unto my path. A way of knowing how to be human and how to flourish and how to kind of move in this world. We also heard it in the call to worship in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 comes in two sections. The first talks about creation and the last talks about the, the Torah, the law, the scriptures. In the first half, it's beautiful. I love it. It says, creation speaks of God without words. Listen to what it has to say. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Creation speaks of God without words. Listen to what it has to say. I love that. There are no words, but yet we have to listen to what it says. That is poetic. I mean, good for the psalmist on that one. But then the second half of the psalm, turns not to creation, but to Scripture, to Torah. And it says that Scripture can revive the soul. It can make wise the simple. It can rejoice the heart. It can enlighten the eyes. And then it says, and this gets to the point that it's not just a matter of reading or reading for ourselves, uh, but it says interpretation, correct interpretation is needed. I believe it's verse 12. It says this, But who can detect their errors? Clear me from my hidden faults. This is why we need each other. Because we can all go into our closets and read the passages for ourselves. But then we, we all know that it's possible to misread Scripture. We know this because we've heard other people do it, right? Not us, but other people. Other people have misread Scripture. We know it's possible, right? So Paul will say to Timothy, look, you need to work at this. You need to labor in word and in doctrine, rightly dividing the word of truth. But to say that, that you have to labor in word and doctrine, that you have to rightly divide the word of truth, supposes that it's possible to wrongly divide the word of truth. If you want a really good example of it, we can look at either Matthew or Luke chapter 4 at the temptation of Jesus. Because in that temptation story, uh, the tempter says to Jesus, hey, you're the son of God, why don't you do this? And Jesus responds, it has been written, right? But then, in the, in the next temptation, uh, the, the temptations are in a different order in Luke 4 and, and uh, Matthew 4. But at some point along the way, it's as though the devil picks up on this pattern. Oh, this is a scripture guy. <laughs> so Satan does this. Well, it has been written that he has given his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against the rock. So, we're standing up here on the tall temple, on the corner, looking down into the, into the valley. Why don't you just throw yourself off? I mean, after all, it says, 
He has given his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against the rock. You want these people to believe in you? You want these people to think that you're the Christ, that you're the Messiah, that you're the one that's been promised? This would be a great way to do it. Try and commit suicide. You can't. Now, what's interesting about that story, amongst other things, is that Satan found a passage of Scripture that he thought he could use to argue for why Jesus should jump off the temple. That should give us cause for pause. That, that should tell us that just because you think you can think of a Scripture that applies to the situation doesn't necessarily mean it applies. That would be an example of wrongly dividing the word where Paul tells Timothy that we need to rightly divide the word. That is, we don't just read it, we interpret it. And we don't just interpret it for ourselves, we have those who guide us. And so we have those who guide us in our own personal lives, right? I could, I could list, uh, besides my mom and dad, a host of people that would fit into that category for me. Brad Blue and Chris Thomas and Ricky Moore and Ricky Cotton, and, and this other guy you may or may not know, his name is Phil Grimes, right? And that, that's been passed along. And so if, I, if I'm reading or preparing for a sermon, I don't just kind of grab scripture and say, okay, I wonder what this means. I try to find out what the church has said. I mean, I wonder if, if Origen or Augustine or Basil or Gregory, I wonder if Martin Luther or John Calvin or John Wesley or Karl Barth, I wonder if I heard Phil say something about this before in my life. That I'm not, I'm not a lone ranger. I have learned the faith. It's been passed to me. Paul will say this too. You know, we often quote this passage in Paul's letter to Timothy about all Scripture being inspired and good for reproof and training and teaching and righteousness. But we didn't quote the previous passage of Scripture. Like literally, the, that's the second sentence in the paragraph. The first sentence in the paragraph is, I want you to remember what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. What you have learned and from whom you have learned it. What he's learned is, is the doctrines. What he's learned is how to interpret. What he's learned is what to believe. And whom he has learned it from would obviously, at one point, be Paul. That Paul was a teacher of Timothy. But also mentioned in that letter are Lois and Eunice. That's Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandmom. Look, I want you to take out those M&Ms. I've, you can open them up. It's like an appetizer for communion. <laughs> In that psalm, the psalm that we opened with, the psalm that speaks about the goodness of the Lord, about the goodness of the, the law of the Lord, how the law of the Lord is actually good for us, it used this idea that, that the word of the Lord is as sweet as honey. So what the rabbis would do when they were teaching children to read, um, the, the first two letters in Hebrew is Aleph and Bet. We, we get a, um, 
uh, English word from this, Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet, can you get it? Almost alphabet, yeah. Alphabet comes from these first two letters. It's also in the Greek, alpha beta, yeah? So it's these first two letters of these kind of ancient alphabets is where we get the word alphabet. And in, in the rabbinical tradition, they were going to teach children their alphabet so they could teach them to read the scriptures. And since the scriptures had spoken of scripture being as sweet as honey in our mouths, they would place honey on the, on the lips or the tongue of the child and then say, all right, we're going to do the alphabet. Or some of them, uh, if, if they had a, a chart, they would put a little piece of honey uh, above each of the letters. And so before the child would say the letters, they would lick the honey and say Aleph. And they'd lick the honey and say Bet. And they'd lick the honey and they'd say Gimel. And they'd lick the honey and they'd say Dalit. Right? Because we, we wanted the children to know that this, is, this isn't just good for you, but this is sweet for you. This is, this is good news for you. So I want you to take some, some chocolates, and I want you to eat them. And I'm going to read some of these passages of Scripture again. Uh, everybody got it? So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation... They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Eat a couple more. <laughs> eat a couple more. Come on. Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions of them to those whom nothing is prepared. For this, is, this day is holy to our Lord do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat a couple more. <laughs> the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Eat a couple more. This passage comes from Luke. Jesus reads scripture too. One day Jesus gets to the synagogue in Nazareth. It was his custom to go to the synagogue uh, um, on the Sabbath. He was doing this all the time, apparently in Capernaum, but now he's gone home to his hometown, and he gets to Nazareth, and it's the Sabbath, so he goes. And they, when he gets there, they hand him the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens and he finds the place where it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's have a couple more. Mm. That is good. That is real good. But here's a problem with this text. Jesus reads this. They hear it and get excited. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord is going to anoint someone to bring good news to the poor. Well, those people in Nazareth were poor. 
They were going to send this anointed one to proclaim release to the captives. Well, they probably all knew somebody who had been arrested by Rome. Recovery of sight to the blind. They had probably heard of what Jesus had been doing around Galilee. And to let the oppressed go free. I mean, who are the oppressed? Right? It's us. It's them. That's what they thought, right? It's this, it's this we're the Jews. We're the ones who've been beaten up, right? We got, we got beaten up by the Assyrians, and we got beaten up by the Babylonians. We got beaten up by the Persians. We got beaten up by the Greeks. We're now getting beaten up by the Romans. Lord, deliver us. Mm, that tastes sweet in my mouth. But then Jesus, and they say, they said they wondered at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They were all happy when they heard Jesus read this scripture. Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they're still pretty excited about it. But then Jesus does with this text what Ezra had to do with the Torah. He had to interpret it for them. He had to say, well, this is what this text means here. And this is what it would look like. And this is how we would apply it. This is how we would live it. And so he told these stories about how there were lots of widows in Galilee and in Israel during the time of the prophet Elijah. But, but Elijah was sent to Sidon. That's like north of there. To a little village of Zarephath. I mean, that's, that's like saying we have problems here. In the south, you know, we, we need God's deliverance in our context. But instead, God sends the prophet up to Massachusetts, maybe to Boston. Like, what do they need? They get to go to the Super Bowl every year, <laughs> right? But so the prophet goes to this, to this other place, this, this foreign land. And the widow there is cared for. As that wasn't enough, Jesus then said, this spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're going to bind up the brokenhearted. We're going to set the captives free. We're going to give sight to the blind. He tells the story of a Syrian general by the name of Naaman who was cleansed of leprosy through the ministry of the prophet Elisha. All of a sudden, this isn't tasting so sweet anymore. This is tasting a little bitter. Because when Jesus was done interpreting the passage from Isaiah that he read, they all wanted to kill him. Now, hopefully, that's not happening today. <laughs> hopefully, no one's going to want to do me any harm. But Jesus' interpretation was such that the spirit of the Lord, the end of oppression, the sight to the blind... Uh, was about not just their group, but the world. And part of those people in the world were just widows from a foreign land. Maybe we can give them that. Okay, 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 God. You know, it'd be great if you could take care of our problems. And if you have time, take care of the problems of some widow who lives, you know, in a different country. That'd be all right. All right, that's good. But then that second story, man, that's a real kicker. Because Naaman is the general of the foreign army. One of Naaman's slaves is a Jewish girl. 
Now that just seems altogether out of bounds. God take care of us, not them. Save us. Why do they need to be delivered? They won the war. <laughs> no. Jesus says, the Spirit has anointed me. Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And it's going to include those that perhaps you would have otherwise excluded. And they led him to the, prepice, the precipice of the hill on which the city had been built, hoping to push him off. <laughs> That's how that story ends, except it says that Jesus walked away and they didn't get it done. If we can understand the scriptures well, it can be sweet. When we misunderstand the scriptures, it will often lead us to bitterness and hatred and desire for somebody else to die. Like our interpretations, if we read a passage of Scripture and you think, having read that passage of Scripture, I hope somebody else doesn't get delivered. I think you've misread it. If you read a passage of Scripture and you think at the end of it, I hope someone else doesn't get forgiven, then, then I think we've misread it. Like when it's properly read and properly understood, we live a life where the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where we don't just feed ourselves, but we also feed others. At the college where my, uh, uh, Angela uh, got her undergrad degree, uh, they end every chapel service with the last verse from Psalm 19. And as far as I know, they've been doing this for like 40 plus years. They all say together, at the end of every chapel service, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a beautiful thing to do on such a regular basis to remind ourselves that what we think and how we act and how we interpret scripture and understand it can be lived in a way that brings glory to God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.